RPC Radio. Radio. Hello, you're listening to Insurance Covered. Welcome to the podcast that covers anything and everything to do with insurance. Coming up in this episode. I find it kind of baffling that we're here in 2023 and I'm hearing the industry start to raise the question whether software is going to be a product or a service. And, and, and the question is, who cares? My name is Peter Mansfield. I'm a partner in the law firm RPC. And in each episode, I am joined by a guest and we discuss an aspect of the wonderful world of insurance. And this week we have Michael Brunero and we are going to discuss the metaverse and the insurance of the metaverse. Michael started out as a lawyer before moving into insurance, which included nearly three years at Liberty in Sydney, in his native Australia. In 2014, he made the time-honoured move from Australia to the UK, joining CFC Underwriting as an underwriter in the technology, cyber and media team. Since then, he's risen up the ranks and he is currently head of tech, media and IP, where, amongst other things, he is responsible for CFC's strategy for insuring the metaverse which is what we're going to discuss today. So, Michael, welcome to the podcast. I'm thrilled to be here, Peter. Thanks for having me. And uh, you, you made this switch, as I mentioned, uh, to insurance whilst you were in Australia. Uh, so, first of all, what provoked that? And uh, and then why did you make the move to the UK in 2014? Yeah, I don't think it's any surprise that uh, 10-year-old Michael wasn't really dreaming of being an underwriter. Um, so it was just a very fortunate chance of circumstance that I moved to insurance, really just was looking for a change. And it was around the time of the financial crisis. So jobs for lawyers were running pretty thin. So it was really just a, a, a lucky um, role that kind of popped up at the time. Um, and then I think London was always my dream. I, I had three siblings living here when I was a teenager and I came to visit them and I went, mate, this is an adult's playground. So it was always, always the journey for me to kind of move over here eventually. Brilliant, brilliant. Anyway, we're here to discuss uh, the, the metaverse, and and I, I should point out that um, in, in preparation for the episode, I have read uh, a book called The Metaverse by Matthew Ball, which is absolutely brilliant, and in which he provides a stupendously long and complex uh, definition of the metaverse, uh, which I'm, I'm not going to repeat because, I, to be honest, I don't think it will help us. But um, it, I, my understanding, Michael, is that it's it's a it's a bit like defining the internet, which is any definition kind of makes literally no sense whatsoever until you've actually experienced the internet and then it all becomes obvious. So Michael, let's, let's see if we can explain the metaverse in stages and then we can discuss the insurance of it. As I understand it, the, the starting point is to realize that the metaverse is a 3D virtual world. So could you talk us through that with, with any examples of, of, of how it might look? Yeah, I think the, the biggest difficulty is the starting point because there isn't any one true established definition of the metaverse. So people have very different opinions as as um, to what the metaverse is. In fact, um, it's become in certain circles a term that people don't want to use at all. Um, I know Disney now refers to, you know, experiential storytelling and narrative to try and get across what they think it is. You mentioned the internet and one of the most often quoted um, phrases around the metaverse is, trying to find the metaverse now is like someone in the 70s trying to describe the internet. Um, you might have an idea of what it might look like and what it might do, but would we have any idea, you know, the huge impact the internet would have had, what it has done for retail and online retail, for example, even, you know, would someone in the 70s have predicted TikTok? 
But I think there's two ways of thinking about the metaverse. The first is that very idealistic sense, that that idea of a, an open metaverse, the pipe dream, you know, a decentralized 3D reality where everyone can enter and socialize and play games. And that's the vision of, I think, where the metaverse wants to go. Where we are at right now is probably the building blocks of that. So the more simplistic reality is, I guess, a, a little bit more shorthand uh, metaverse has become a bit shorthand for um, an immersive internet where you can work, play and socialise. So there's plenty of examples of those immersive 3D experiences where we can socialise and play games. Probably some of the more well-known ones and, and one of the big, big players trying to enter this space in a real way is obviously Meta with their rebrand. They've got Horizon Worlds, which is one that people are familiar with. Um, there's Decentraland. Roblox is one that really gains a lot of attention. Um, so there are plenty of places already around the internet where you can create an avatar uh, and exist in this 3D world. But I think, yeah, in terms of what the metaverse is right now, it does depend who you ask. And I mean, you mentioned that kind of two or three games, and you know, I, I, I'm not I'm not a kind of a, a person who plays kind of these these games myself. But I watch people play, say, Call of Duty, and you're in the character's mind eye. You can look left, you can look right, you can look up, you can look down. You can, you know, you, you have that sort of 3D feel to it. And but but as as I understand it, at the moment, it's not the metaverse because all of these games are are separate. Um, one game might be on the Xbox, one might be on the PlayStation, um, and in each case your character is a different character, and if you gain benefits in one game, you can't use those benefits in, in another game. And, and I'll just, as I understand it, the, 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 pure, the pure vision of the metaverse, in theory at least, will mean that all of these 3D virtual worlds are accessible from a single portal. So if, if you bought a pair of shoes for your, your avatar in minecraft for example you will still have those shoes on when you start the next game in say Fortnite, and yes the avatar looks the same and and everything about it is the same you're just moving seamlessly from one one game to the other is 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 that even close to a, a fair description yeah I, I guess that's the hope for the metaverse but it's also probably one of the biggest challenges that challenge of interoperability being able to port from one world to another from one game, how these worlds are going to speak to each other. And I, and if we look at who's playing in the space now, we're probably seeing the next generation of tech giants start to emerge. And do I believe they're all going to work together in harmony? I don't necessarily think that's always the case. I think, again, this is about what the dream of the metaverse is versus what is the reality we'll be faced with. Whenever there's kind of something new and exciting in the world of tech, particularly consumer, there tends to be a number of players and then over time it tends to be usurped by one or two main victors. You look at search engines, once upon a time there was tons, there was Ask Jeeves, Yahoo, now it's basically Google. And, and, and I think that that's definitely an issue that we're going to have with interoperability in this space too is if you want to get market share, how willing are you going to be to, to play nice with your competitors or are you just going to try and acquire them and have it as your own world or become such a behemoth that no one's using the other services? So I, I, I think, yeah, the challenge of interoperability between worlds right now seems you know, a far cry just because there's so many minor players in the space. Um, but I guess over time that may change and, and whether it is just a couple of key players or whether there's yeah a, a bunch of acquisitions taking place. But I think I think that is going to be a challenge. Um, I think you even have these a lot of discussion about brands 
buying space in the metaverse. However, you know, if you're buying a, a pair of Nike shoes in, in Ro Roblox, for example, and Nike doesn't have a license to operate in Decentraland, are they going to allow you to port them over there? So there's a whole bunch of issues that are going to come with it. But I think over time, um, perhaps there might be one major victory. But right now, I think interoperability is a, a bit of a dream. You've mentioned Roblox already, which I imagine will be a, a mystery to everyone below the age of 18. But, but that is, as I understand it anyway, uh, an online platform, if that's the right word, which, which allows individuals to create games within the Roblox environment. And uh, apparently 20 million games have already been produced um, or produced a year um, in, in Roblox. And Therefore, Roblox can be described as, as a network of different games where an individual avatar can just move from, from game to game. They're all interconnected. And once again, I, I can't believe some of the stats that, that are mentioned, but apparently over 75% of US children play Roblox. And, and one game, just one game within these 20 million, one called Adopt Me, has been played over 30 billion times. So, yeah, so, so, so Roblox, it seems to me, is a sort of a, a proto-metaverse. Um, is, is that something you've got any experience of? Yeah, at the risk of destroying any credibility I might have, I'll be honest, I'm not a gamer. But funny you mentioned children. I downloaded Roblox and it was sitting on my phone for about six months because I didn't know what to do with it. And I went back home in 2021 and my nine-year-old niece found it on my phone and I all of a sudden was the coolest uncle because I had <laughs> Roblox. At which point I said, okay, that's great, but can you show me it? Because I had no idea what to do with it. And my nine-year-old niece was a pro at Roblox and absolutely loved it. And all the other nieces, I've got 10 nieces and nephews, and they're all over it. They know this, they love it. That's what they're playing on their iPads. But as you said, it's it's essentially a, a virtual universe um, where users can create and play games. And so it's really taking user-generated content, I think, to that next level. You know, it's not just about, you know, photos and videos. Now there's experiences, these peer-to-peer -peer experiences that we can create um, through these kind of virtual platforms. And I think there is something like 9.5 million people on the app actually are developers. And I've, I've seen kids now, you know, taking um, uh, coding classes. One of one of our clients is an app that actually teaches kids how to code. So it's 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 not such a job thing anymore as it is a hobby. People are mm -hmm. finding, you know, it's a, it's a hobby that kind of exists for kids. So yeah, look, Roblox is huge. I think they have um, 43 million daily users and 202 million monthly users. This is a huge, huge platform. So I think, I think you know, if, if, if you're interested in the metaverse and where it's going, I think Roblox is one of the brands to watch, especially if we're looking at that journey of peer-to-peer -peer gaming experiences. So it really kind of feels like, um, you know, the internet entering 3D. We saw 2.0 was the birth of user-generated content. I think this is kind of adding another dimension to that, which is exciting. Um, quite literally adding another dimension to it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but, but Roblox, you know, it may well be a proto metaverse, um, but it's owned and controlled by, by Roblox. Whereas kind of the utopia for the, the, the metaverse is this sort of decentralized kind of universe, a bit like, a bit like the internet. No one, no one controls the internet as such. We all go on it and they're obviously big players within the internet, but no one controls the internet. And, and the dream is that that's, you know, what will happen with the metaverse as well, that it will just become a, uh, a 
kind of mysterious thing where everybody works happily together and kind of uses it and as you say just just move seamlessly from from kind of game to game from websites well i'm not sure whether there'll be websites anymore will they but from from, from you know, event to event from thing to thing on, on on the metaverse in the same way that we do on the internet at the moment but but is that you know how how might that work do you think yeah, look, I, I even think how we move through the internet at the moment is is not as free as we think. When when you think about our involvement on on social media, really all that data is you know is really to the benefit of the social media platforms themselves. We become very valuable pieces of information. Uh, even all the gen- the content we generate, whether it's videos, TikToks, Instagram pictures we're creating content that really is providing a lot of value for the platforms that it's on. And I think the birth of blockchain has really given us this this hope of decentralization where we're not going to have all these private enterprises owning our data. There will be a a vision of an internet that is more free, free from that third-party influence. The difficulty is while we might have that you know, that technology, that decentralization capability, is that really where we're going to go? You know, I think, I think there's, you know, so many big players already plowing into this space. It, it, it might be the vision and the hope. I'm just not sure that it's always going to kind of turn out that way. So I think you're still going to see many, many um, big name brands throwing money into the, into the private space. We're probably still going to have a lot of private involvement over the metaverse. So I think, you know, a, a utopia open metaverse feels a long bow. I'm not sure how different it will be to the internet. I think I, I hate to be a bit of a cynic, but it, it just feels like it's going to take a lot of power and uh, to kind of release the grip of, of the tech giants. Um, I think the dream of us owning all our own data is is, is, is a hope. <laughs> <laughs> and um, just before we move on, is, is there anything else that we need to know in order to be able to visualise what the metaverse is? I, I, I guess the, the main thing to know is is often when you play games, for example, you you are on and off, right? The game waits for you. The idea with a lot of these these metaverses is that it's, it's, it's existing like real time. Time constantly goes on. So it's kind of like a live environment in that sense. So you might sleep, but the metaverse will continue. There isn't necessarily a start stop to it. I think that for it to kind of really operate, there's, there is a, a large virtual reality, augmented reality aspect to it, which requires hardware devices. So it, again, the idea of everyone being able to access it um, might sound great in theory. Um, however, there's going to be a cost and that cost is, is, is you know, going to be a bit of a barrier for some. So probably is still not going to be a space as equal as, as the utopia might lead it to be, to or seem to be. Metopia, perhaps we should call it. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, so we've we talked uh, about some some games, um, but obviously the metaverse, if it appears in whatever form it appears, um, is likely to be used for a, a lot more than, than than gaming. So, kind of let's now discuss just for a few kind of minutes about you know potential examples of of what the the, the metaverse might provide us in in kind of the, the years to come. I think we're already seeing some of the some of the kind of businesses now um, and what it can do, whether it's in retail, healthcare, um, travel, education. There's it, it, there's no real limit to it. Even you know work. One of my favourite is an augmented reality experience, which is for army vets that are actually unable to visit memorial sites to actually be able to do it from the comfort of their own home, which I think is fantastic. I think the healthcare space is starting to prove really interesting. 
there was a company called Endeavor RX, I believe, a US-based company in 2020, and it became the first virtual reality game to be approved by the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, as a treatment for children with ADHD. There's another really cool company called Xvision, and this is an augmented reality surgical navigation system. And basically it's a headset that projects CT scan images onto the surgeon's retina so that they can actually kind of um, maintain their focus rather than having to move between different screens during an operating procedure. So these kind of technologies are finding their way all through different industries. Um, I think the area I look forward to seeing being no no stranger to online shopping is is what it can do in the retail space. You know, we, we're starting to see even even in, in shopping malls, technology starting to kind of change the shopping experience, whether it is even just simply um, self-check technology. But we've seen fitting rooms that have become more interactive, whereby they can tell you, hey, this actually might match the item that you've got hung up in here because we can tell what item that is using IoT technology. And I think kind of seeing how fitting room technology in an online capacity in a 3D world could be adopted for that kind of consumer environment would be really exciting. There's plenty of examples out there. Uh, maybe not the full vision of the utopia kind of mentioned, but um, just at least, you know, the baby steps, the building blocks of, of where this can potentially go. Exactly. But as I understand it, yeah, actually visually, the kind of the retail experience, what, what the metaverse could potentially do is you would be an avatar and you would kind of, you know, you would on the, on a screen or on a virtual reality headset or, or whatever, you, you, you would you would walk into a shopping mall and there would be a, a closed shop on the left. You could go into the closed shop. You could kind of look at, see what's on, on all the hangers and you can test them. And, and but all the time, you know, artificial intelligence will be knowing what you want and what you like. So it'd be directing you towards the sort of clothes that you like to want. Then you could go into a bookshop and then you could do exactly the same and you can pick a book off the shelf and you have a look at it. So in other words, in a 3D virtual world, you could do exactly what you do in the real world. Hmm. But actually, artificial intelligence is guiding it so that, like in a bookshop, you, you are guided to the books that you are most likely to like. And, you know, with education, you know, you, you could you could have children walking around kind of a 3D Pompeii or kind of a, a virtual Professor Brian Cox taking you through a, a 3D experience of, of the universe and plunging into kind of kind of the, the frozen methane on Neptune or wherever that you have liquid methane. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, and all of uh, it's, it's, I mean, as I was reading the book, I was kind of, you know, so, so you could have, yeah, you, you could, so let's say that the Wimbledon tennis final is, is shown within this 3d world. You can get front row tickets, but you can have all your friends around you, even though, even if they're scattered around the globe and, you know, you could be chatting and whatever whilst watching. It's, it's, yeah, it is a utopia, mm. I accept, but it's quite a phenomenal one. Yeah, the opportunities in the space for it to go are, are massive. It's who wants to use it. And I think that's kind of one of the points. Everyone likes to access entertainment or shopping or read it in all kinds of different ways. It just provides another another alternative. I, I went and um, saw that uh, the ABBA Voyage um, over in London, the 3D kind of virtual experience there. And this is a you know, great example is of, of how we can use technology in a different way. And imagine being able to do that from your own room. So, yeah, the, the, the space, I think, for, for consuming information, cons consuming kind of items in different ways is massive. Yeah. I, I, and that feeds into a wider question, 
which is why are so many people talking about the metaverse at the moment, do you think? It's getting a lot of buzz for its potential and I think, you know, the vision. But I think it's also because so many brands are talking about it. You're hearing um, Walmart has just entered Roblox. And, and I think that's where it's kind of creating a lot of this noise. And that's why people are talking about it so much. All these big brands are doing it. Why are big brands focused on it so much? And I think what they're really, well, what I think this is all about is, is, is building awareness um, brand awareness with the next generation of consumers. So a lot of us sit here going, what's the point? Why do we want it? But there's a whole new generation of consumers coming through that are going to digest information and want to react with brands differently. And this is a way of showing them, hey, we're cool. We're a cool brand. We're progressive. And we want to build a, build a base for the future and we're going to start now. So I think we often sit here saying, well, that's stupid. I wouldn't buy that. But I don't think that's necessarily who they're focusing on. And so, as I said, 70, as you mentioned, 75% of you know, American children are on Roblox. Like my, my nieces and nephews do it. While they might not be valuable consumers now, they, they will be in the long term. And that's what they're trying to do, create probably early brand awareness for that long, long-term play. So I think that's why there's so much hype and talk about it because, you know, becoming, becoming the kind of brand of the future needs to start now. And um, as I understand it as well, you can already in Roblox or I don't know if you can do it in Minecraft as well, but you can actually buy Adidas trainers for your avatar or you can buy a Prada handbag. And it's it's to, to my elderly eyes, it's all very weird, but apparently yes. apparently it's working. <laughs> yeah. I agree with you. I agree with you. And one of the things I've learned kind of in this role, having kind of seen tech emerge is I have to stop thinking about what I find value in and see what other people find value in. So I sometimes have to to take my personal views out of things and kind of look at the bigger picture. And I think that's what a lot of brands are doing. But we've already said quite a lot of the time it's, it's potential at the moment. So, and when it comes to, and you wrote an article on this quite recently, but when it comes to insurance, the metaverse as it will be in, five years time, 10 years time, 20 years time is is interesting and is nice to to contemplate, but that's not what insurance is about. Insurance is about the the here and now. So so what is the here and now? Where are we at at the moment in in, in terms of the metaverse? And, and And what are the sorts of risks and opportunities do you as an insurer see? Yeah, I, I think that the exciting part is the building blocks of whatever this is that we will get are already here. So there is already opportunity. It might not be cohesive in, in, in an idealistic sense, but we have augmented reality and virtual reality technology. We have esports. We have blockchain. We have virtual care. Um, these are risks that exist right now. And I think understanding the very unique risk posed by digitization um, of even very traditional sectors I think understanding that and these underlying technologies will be the key to understanding the the metaverse as it comes. It's staying ahead of what we've got in front of us right now. So we need to find workable solutions for some of the challenges we we have now. And and I think part of that is, is, is considering whether the existing kind of solutions we have for businesses, the traditional policies we have, truly make sense. I find it kind of baffling that we're here in 2023 And I'm hearing the industry start to raise the question and concern, that old conversation of, I don't know how our our policies are going to respond with, you know, these digitization of industries and, you know, whether software is going to be a product or a service. And, and, And the question is, who cares, right? 
Who cares whether the law says software is a product or a service? We should not be having that argument. The only reason we have that argument is because we've developed products that say if it's product and it's injury, it goes in bucket number one over here. And if it's a service and a financial loss, it goes in bucket number two over here. And I think that's already missed the point. What we're doing by kind of operating in these very siloed functions is saying, um, you know, you know, client, you actually have to fit the way we do things rather than us understand that your business is complex and we can't think of it that way. Even if you think of tech companies, if you speak to a tech company, they all call their, their, their software services hardware products. So the fact that we still like to think of a product as something tangible and hard in, in 2023 is, is, is a little behind the times. I think we need to move a lot faster than that. These people just need protection. So I think the opportunity is creating products that suit the needs of the client, that speak to a client. Like insurance isn't the first thing on these guys' mind when they're trying to move forward and advance. We should be making it as easy as possible. So I think right now we're seeing more and more conversion of the physical and metaphysical in all kind of lives. You know, fintech, e-health, insurtech, it's all happening. So I think the opportunity is to understand these risks and then break our policies and rebuild them, rebuild products that actually meet diff- the needs of different businesses. That's where I think I think the space needs to go. I mean, what, what do you see as the main risks of, of the metaverse? I mean, presumably the, the metaverse is a, to some extent at least, is a, a 3D virtual equivalent to the real world in which we are in. I think I've seen mentioned the fact that you, know, you, you, you could have stalkers in, in the metaverse. So you, you have an avatar and every other human on earth is potentially within this metaverse at the same time. Anyone could follow you. Anyone could stalk you. You could be bullied. You could be, there could be discrimination um, and, and harassment. And uh, I mean, plus all the intellectual property rights, as you're saying, you know, you, you could have kind of stores and shops, which are, are selling things. And I, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, you say it's, it'll involve reinvention. I mean, it it really will, won't it? Kind of from an insurance perspective, it, it really will involve completely fresh thinking. So if, if you think a lot about those things, bullying, cyber stalking, discrimination, harassment, they happen in social media. So we've already got those. What we're going to see is how that moves forward when we're much more physically in a, in a place. There was a really great example of um, recently, it's a researcher who was researching the metaverse and, and she actually was sexually assaulted in the metaverse while others watched. And one of the interesting signs of that is even though she physically wasn't, um, her, her body wasn't um, you know, impacted in that truer sense, but being existing in that third world, because you're physically present there, the way your mind reacts is exactly the same. You have the same like mental reaction to that that altercation as what it would if it had have happened in real life. Your your body still registers that violation exactly the same. And so there is going to obviously be a you know an enhanced risk that probably hasn't existed in the same way in two D. But again, a lot of those stalking, bullying things have emerged. And, you know, we haven't really solved a lot of that. You know, how much responsibility is there for the platform? You know, even even content moderation. You know, how much responsibility do platforms have on moderating content? We still haven't really settled there on that. I think, you know, we will see tech companies putting more and more effort in to, to protect people over time, or so we should hope. But it's definitely going to have whole new liability exposures for them and, and, and any kind of business operating in that space. 
I think IP is always going to be a huge issue. You know, we look at we look at the world of of NFTs, for example, which are touted as the ownership, the way you know the the means for ownership. You know, um, in in a digital context, um, non fungible tokens. I'm talking about, um, which are basically certificates of ownership over digital assets in its most simplistic sense. We've seen countless examples uh, you know open themselves has said you know 80 percent of the the content i think it was around 80 percent of the content on their uh, marketplace they're a marketplace for selling nfts they said is plagiarized art or scams so people are selling ip that doesn't even belong to them so there's huge ip issues i think from from my perspective it's exciting to see we're going to see you know digital and intangible assets intellectual property start to to become even more and more prevalent as we go forward. And people are going to want to insure their intellectual property, their digital assets. How do we value those things? You know, what is the value of your IP? I think that's going to be an interesting space that the insurance industry will eventually have to find a way around because people will be looking for it. Again, diving into it head first is probably not the wisest decision, but starting to understand that, you know, if, you know, we've insured buildings for, for eons, but, what about when people say want to insure a trade secret from being hacked and released or like you said a pair of shoes in the metaverse mm. these will be the kind of new risk exposures we'll be we'll be looking at no that's or, or if you if you build your own city in minecraft or whatever and is that something which can be protected and insured it's 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 it's, it's a, i say it's a whole new series of slightly weird questions how do we value that well, what is the value of a city in the metaverse yeah is going to be here today gone tomorrow yeah. um, who knows we could be here you know in 10 years time you know you're waiting for me to finish up so you can go be by your villa in the sea somewhere in the metaverse <laughs> <laughs> and, and and what's what stage you'll be at i mean to what extent do these policies already exist to what extent are you sort of already writing these policies and 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 what's how do you classify these policies yeah, I think there are some really exciting policies that already in existence that kind of deal with with metaverse-based businesses. I wouldn't say it's a metaverse product per se, because what is that really? The metaverse as we know it at the moment is just the the sum of the component parts. So, you know, there's some fantastic digital health policies which have been specifically designed for the treatment of individuals, you know, online. There are, you know, technology products which have moved away from the traditional E&O financial loss, GLG um, is, you know, for product injury. When, when, you, when you think about a technology product, there's often, there could be hardware, embedded software. You might be providing advice as to which products best as well as doing installation and maintenance so you've got advice, manual work, and, and, and it's just too complex to be able to understand, well, where does that go? What was it the actual software inside? Was it hardware? Is that just one device? There are jots, you know, dots of really great products emerging out there designed for these businesses, overlaid with cyber understanding. And I think um, we probably need to see more of that and, and, <clears throat> and continuing to advance those products for these industries. Are, are, are there specialist brokers appearing at the moment who, who are specialising in this in this kind of metaverse related risk absolutely i think you will you know there's there's been tech you know specialist brokers specialist um, brokers in um tech for the, for the longest time i think you are starting to find some of those become more specialized in the area of digital assets cryptocurrency nfts which again are building blocks of this metaverse those that specialize in the you know um more kind of media entertainment whether it is esports gaming etc i think that those brokers definitely making the most of these niche markets that are starting to expand and getting in early and understanding it and i think they really get the products 
that have been specially designed for those industries. And I think that's really the way to go um, is really kind of put the effort into understanding because whether we find value in it or not, I think is is beside the point someone is and I think that these technologies are interested and they are going to happen so um, understanding it and, and being a part of that journey is really really imperative right now for, for growth for, for, for growth long term definitely and, and can you imagine a, a future in which insurers um, sell insurance in the metaverse as I was as I was preparing for this I was suddenly thinking oh hang on a moment is it possible that there'll be a you know a, a virtual Lloyds of London whereby you know a broker a at home in their screen can actually walk into Lloyd's through their screen in the 3D world and they can go up the escalator and they all they, they bump into you know their mate over there so that they have a chat with broker B for a little bit because they happen to be in, in the metaverse at the same time and then mm. he goes up and does some business with uh, an underwriter and kind of you know she asks the various questions and kind of they do business in the metaverse and then they all go to a virtual lamb um, afterwards in in Lednor Market for a for a virtual drink and a chat. I mean, is is that is that a possibility? Is that a possible future? I think what we will find is, and what technology is trying to do is give people options of the way they want to engage. You know, some people really like working remotely and dealing this way. Other people really like to be in person. Some people are happy to catch up online for a quick chat. Other people want to do it in the pub. I think what we'll find is, is, is we're able to explore the various options that people want in order to, um, to connect um, and to do business. I think what we'll always have to recall is, you know, we're not going to be the ones necessarily walking through Lloyd's in 30, 40 years time. That's going to be the next generation. How do they like to communicate? So seeing the world through their eyes and how they kind of operate will be really interesting. But there's, yeah, there's every possibility. There's no, it's a, that's the beauty of it. We don't have answers right now. So there's, there's plenty of, plenty of possibility. No, it's extraordinary, and, and yeah, and obviously yeah, the, the metaverse isn't going to appear overnight. It's not as though one day we won't have the metaverse, and then the next day we do. As you say, a lot of the building blocks are, are already there. Um, it's just that they'll somehow need to be put together. And yeah, we've also started talking about some of the, the kind of the technical and regulatory and, and just practical obstacles um, that will need to be overcome. But we all know that the the big tech companies are investing billions in this already. And the likelihood is that the problems will be overcome in some way or another, uh, if only because it, it suits everybody's purposes from a, from a profit perspective. Bill Gates predicts that 3D meetings will arrive in the next two or three years. That's a horrible prospect. <laughs> um, and, and Mark Zuckerberg says that the, the much of the metaverse will be mainstream within 10 years. Um, others predict longer dates and and some refuse to put any date on it uh, at all. I, I mean, I, I, we've already got a hint of your, your view, but but can can you summarise where you, you know, go on there, Michael, give us a prediction as to, to yeah, what, I, I, what's going to happen. I just, I think, I think that the problem is it depends on what you consider the metaverse to be. And that's, again, the whole, whole problem. Like, are we already here? Is this, is this, you know, the beginning of what it is? And if you want it to kind of move to stage two, three, four, again, if you think of that utopia that we talked about that open metaverse 
even the bandwidth to support the volume of traffic, of internet traffic, we're not even close to being able to have that yet. So it's it's kind of hard to see anything in any true sense. But if Bill Gates talking about 3D meetings, him, yeah, that's probably not that far away, right? A lot of the base technologies for that are already here. It's who wants to use it and who doesn't. If, if Mark Zuckerberg talking about more like existing more in a more world rather than in a room, I think that's a lot further along because um, there's, you know, many obstacles to overcome. Uh, the- there are many people who be who be listening to this uh, and will be thinking that the, the the metaverse sounds like a dystopia, and, and to be honest, I, I I think I may I think I may fall within the, the, the category of people who see it as a dystopia. Although having said that, if if there's a three D library with all the with all the books in the world that I love, then you know I may be happier. But um, <laughs> but uh, I, I mean, what's your view as someone who's obviously involved in in tech and as a tech underwriter? Is is it is it going to be a utopia or a dystopia, or will we not even notice because it will just creep upon us? Yeah, I wouldn't say I would take a completely binary approach my, myself. If I guess one man's trash is another man's treasure, I think it's really going to depend on the individual. You could say the same for social media. For some, it's a utopia, and for other, it's an absolute nightmare, and it might depend on the day of the month. I would say, you know, like all advancement in technology, what we're going to see is the best and worst of human nature, and we're going to see it at scale. <laughs> this is a fascinating conversation, and I would happily go on for for ages. Uh, but but Michael, we, we do have to come to an end. And uh, you know, you, you made that switch into insurance kind of you know, several years ago now, over a decade ago. So what? But what bit of advice would you give to someone um, who's thinking about creating a career in insurance? Yeah, look, I would say whatever your background is, there is probably a place in insurance where you can use your interests or skills. You know, my legal background has come in very handy in selling liability insurance. Um, We have keen gamers here who sell tech insurance. We've got fashion majors who work in intellectual property. Um, We've even got influencers selling cyber and media. So it's a great way um, to blend interests with income, I would say. So, you know, if you're interested, come talk to me. We have open positions. (laughs) Brilliant. Thank you, Michael. That was wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. RPC Radio. Thank you so much for listening to Insurance Covered, which is an RPC production made possible by Joe Burgess and Mary Mitchell. If you enjoyed this podcast, you will also love our other podcasts, Taxing Matters and Money Covered, plus The Fix, which is co-hosted by my colleague Kelly Thompson. If you want to be a guest on Insurance Covered, please email me at peter.mansfield at rpc.co.uk. Thank you, and I hope you have a great day.